call for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the privilege of being here this morning, worshiping together with a group of believers. Bless Malo as he brings what you live in his heart, that we can draw him closer to you, and, and our lives can um, closer mimic what you would have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Greetings in Jesus' name, and welcome to each one this morning. It's good to be here. Um, I was blessed so far, especially with that devotional meditation on humility. Thank you for that, Wes. And I think we will also see some of that in the character that I have in mind this morning, Moses. I'm doing a character study, and thanks, Bill, for leading out a couple of weeks ago at our, at our Wednesday evening Bible study. That was an interesting study. Maybe it got me sort of thinking. There's a lot of characters in the Bible that are certainly worthy of our uh, noticing and even mentoring, uh, following their example. And I would offer Moses as a person like that. To any of you is aspiring leaders, this is a good guy to follow. Moses was a man that, um, well, we'll see a little bit later on. We'll get into some of the character traits that he had that are very desirable for all of us, that uh, certainly would be uh, a worthy role model to follow. My servant, Moses. Now that title comes directly from God about Moses. What an honor to have God say that about a person. I wonder what God would say about you if he were to give you some kind of a title. And also, him being a leader, um, you'll notice servant leaders in our world are, that's kind of a contradictory term. It's not something that is, is usually used in the same sentence, especially not in our world today. I'm thinking about, you know, civic leaders, national leaders. But in a church, it is very vital that... A leader is a servant, <clears throat> first of all to God and then to you as people. So keep that in mind as we think of my servant Moses. But I have the first portion of our time here. I want to spend some time to get the setting, introduce you to Moses, those of you who don't know, refresher to those of you who do. And then I want to spend some time on the traits that I think are very worthy of our us to notice and focus on. So, for a setting, let's turn to Numbers chapter 12. <clears throat> Numbers 12, this is a part of their, their uh, journey in a wilderness. And Moses, we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, as we know, he was called by God to lead his people, Israel, out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses had a very unique upbringing that fitted him, in my opinion, that fitted him quite well for that calling on his life. Um, who would better understand the language, the culture, and the ways of Egypt than someone who was raised in that setting? We'll get to that in just a little while. We see how that we know that most of us remember how Moses was born during a time when 
it would have been dangerous to start a family. The um, king at that time was threatened by the Egyptians uh, growing and multiplying, getting mighty and strong, and ordered the midwives to throw all the baby boys in the river as they're born. Just chuck them in the river. We don't read of that happening to his brother Aaron or his, well, his sister. Girls were spared, of course. It was just the boys that the king was targeting. And during that time, somehow, by God's hand, Moses survived and was not thrown in the river. And, of course, we'll see. That. I'll, I'll read, read about that a little bit later. But let's read Numbers 12 right here. This is a, just a bit of a, a setting. Uh, Moses being the leader... And his position and leadership questioned. Uh, let's read, and then we'll make a few comments. Uh, Numbers 12, verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not given also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. This is God speaking. <clears throat> if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine health. With, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the rest of the chapter gives the account where God did heal her, but not, not till after she had gone through the seven-day uh, purification rite that was required by the law. But we have here God's testimony several times of Moses and his brother and sister questioning that and God speaking very forcefully against that. And we'll, we'll, we'll look into another incident of that a little bit later. Well, let's go back to the beginning of Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and we'll see the beginning of Moses' life and the setting that I had spoke briefly of earlier, where we have uh, the case here of this scene sort of changing. You'll remember in the end of Genesis, there was a famine in, in, in Israel, Jacob took his family to Egypt because they needed groceries. And Joseph happened to be the king. And I think you all know the story. And uh, he provided for them. He saw to it that they got the best land in, in, in Goshen. 
and were able to have their flocks, and they grew and multiplied. Started off with, was it 70 people, and ended up likely a million or more by now. Here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, Now there arose, arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So Joseph had passed off the scene. That connection to Israel, his people, Joseph's people, was now gone. And this new king didn't know Joseph, didn't have the connection to Israel like Joseph did. And then they became slaves from going to a preferred group of people in a very fertile, suitable land to slaves and saw that they were getting out of hand, so to speak growing and multiplying, and he was threatened by them. They were threatened by Israel because it says in verse 10, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. Hey, a valid concern, right? Uh, a million people, I don't know how large Pharaoh's army was, but hey, a valid concern. And anyways, so in an effort to stem this population growth, this explosion, Pharaoh had ordered the midwives to throw the baby boys in the river. Right there at the end of the chapter, verse 22, verse 22 chapter 1. Mary, and Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, he shall cast into the river, and every daughter he shall save alive. That was an effort to, con to control this, this population explosion. So that's the setting that Moses was born into. Um, and, and of course, his parents, as you can imagine, didn't follow through. Let's read Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll get a, just a glimpse of his, his uh, birth and his uh, early years in his life. And there went... Out a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived the bare son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags in the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would, what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter. Her, his sister was watching over this little baby that was floating in the river. Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. So we can see the hand of God here. Certainly, the baby crying and the, and the, and the, and the, the, the daughter having compassion and took the child for her own 
And then her sister very strategically and tactfully offered to find a nurse for it, which was the mother. Isn't that neat? So um, this, was, this was the setting where Moses was, was born into. So you can see he was raised as a prince in the palace. Prince Moses. How does that sound? So here he was being raised in the palace. And you'll see the next couple verses, his life, it's kind of a highlight of his life. But uh, we have the next scene here in verse 11 where he's now grown up and it looks like he's overseeing some kind of a work project. Um, I kind of skipped over that in the first chapter, but they were slaves. They were building, I don't know, buildings and cities and whatnot. And it was hard work. And so here was Moses, and apparently he was dressed like an Egyptian and looked like an Egyptian. But somehow he identified with his people. We don't know at what point he was, that it became known to him that he's actually a Hebrew boy, not an Egyptian boy. But he identified with his people, Israel. Uh, verse 11, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days, Moses was grown. And he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Okay, he took things into his own hands, trying to save his people or defend this person. And this somehow leaked out to Pharaoh. And, of course, he had to run for his life, which he did. And a long story short, that's how he found a wife. And then uh, move on in chapter 3. We have God's call on his life. Here he is. Again, we get the setting right here in verse 1 of chapter 3. He was watching his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. And this call came to him from God from a bush. This bush burst into flames, and I understand that's not totally uncommon, but the unusual thing, this bush wasn't consumed. It was just a fire. The bush wasn't being burnt up. So he went to check this out, and as he got close, God spoke to him. And he, according, I guess, this is the first recording that we have of God speaking to Moses. And he wasn't young anymore. Remember, he was grown. He would have had a wife, and I assume children, I don't know. But here he was. But let's go down to verse 7 and take a look at God's call on his life. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, this was God's call or assignment to him. 
And like I said, he had previously identified with his people and, and uh, in some way had uh, accepted the, the, you know, his, his heritage. And uh, so here God calls him out of this bush. Uh, can you guys imagine that? You men, this is probably a million, I don't know, huge crowd of people. And you got this oppressive rulers with their demanding taskmasters, it called them. And they had a hard job. Their workload was not necessarily decreased. It kept increasing, and their supply chains were interrupted, and they couldn't get their product, and they had to go get it themselves. This was, this was really frustrating and demanding. And in all the middle of this, God says, Moses, I want you to be the leader and, and, and take him out of Egypt. I, what, what was going through his mind? Well, I guess we can see in the next couple of verses. Let's read verse 11. Moses said, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, this is God speaking, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So here we have, I am sending Moses to his people. Or, yeah, with this message to his people. You can see already the, the pushback, the resistance, the hesitation, the fear, the inadequacy. He said, who am I? Didn't we just decide that maybe he would have been about the best fit for that job? He grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He understood the language, if there was a language barrier. He knew the culture. He knew, well, he was a prince. Now, at this point, he would no longer have been a prince, but he would have, he would have known the rope, so to speak. So he starts making excuses. Well, right here. They won't believe me. Now we're going on to the next chapter. Said they won't believe me uh, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. They will not believe me, nor hearken unto me. Hearken unto my voice. Now, I imagine these people are getting weary of their of their lot in life, this overbearing ruler, the demands on their expectations or workload, I expect they were getting tired of this, and we're hoping to see an end sometime. So Moses said, no, nah, they won't believe me, Lord. They won't, they, they won't listen to me. So that God gives him a sign with this, well, there's two of them. His rod, you'll see that next couple of verses, he had him throw, and a rod was a, 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 like a shepherd's, uh, it was more than a stick, but it, it was a, yeah, I'll take time for this. 
A rod was a very special piece of equipment to a shepherd. They would dig out a tree, a little sapling, by the roots, and they would carve this root ball to fit their hand. It, I think it was like maybe this tall, something like that. Every shepherd had his own unique rod that was used for a lot of things. It could be used, well, remember they talked about passing under the rod? They would put this out and count sheep as they go under the rod. He could reverse it and use it as a club, the little root ball. It was a very useful and a special tool, and it was made and hand-carved by him. So this, was, this is what's meant by the rod. And every shepherd had one. So he said, throw it on the ground, and he did, and it turned into a snake. Now, that's not normal. This is just a dead tree. It's a dead stick, if you will. And then God said, grab it by the tail. Now, I don't know how many snake handlers you have, but I would not grab a snake by the tail. I always go for the head. (laughs) And he did, and it became a rod again. So that was sign number one. And then the next one is in verse six, where he tells him to put his hand inside his coat, and he brought it out, and it was like leprous. Now, that was a dreaded disease in their day. And, of course, he panicked, and uh, then he told him to put it back in again, and just like that, it was healed. Now, does this happen every day? This doesn't usually happen. When they had leprosy, it was, it was like I said, a dreaded disease. It was highly contagious, and they often died from it. So, you get the picture. This was not just something ordinary or every day. Okay, so he still wasn't quite ready. And he said, can't you send someone else? Can't you get someone else? Please send someone else in chapter 4, verse 14. And uh, so then God did agree to call on his brother Aaron, and they would work together. And then in the, that we, we have there in verse 17, he mentions, oh, bring your rod along, by the way. And so, then we see there in verse 20, that rod became the rod of God. I like that. And that's a whole new, could be a whole new topic. It was no longer just a dead tree. It was the rod of God. And you'll see that. I'm not going to go into that. But there's quite a few times when that phrase occurs during their journey Uh, Moses used his rod for a lot of things. He abused it a few times too, and we'll see that in a little while. Now that we have the setting of Moses and his upbringing and his calling and some of the, um, I would say, advantages that he had, as I said, growing up in an Egyptian palace, knowing their ways, knowing the language, knowing the culture, let's look at some of his traits. I want to look at the courage of Moses. Now, the people did actually believe Moses is an heir, and if we go on into chapter chapter 5, the end of the chapter, um, remember he was, he, was, uh, he was afraid that they wouldn't believe him? I wrote a wrong reference down. Sorry, 
can't find the reference. There was, there was a time when they, they actually did believe, and then God called them to, to, uh, to go into Pharaoh. <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 31. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did, did signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked upon their affliction, then he bowed their heads and worshipped. So the people did believe Moses. And beyond that, they even worshipped God for that. Okay, so here comes his first assignment. God tells him, go talk to Pharaoh. Because I want you to take these people out of Egypt. And afterward, chapter 5, verse 1, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Now this is what they said. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Real short, straightforward. Here's the deal, Pharaoh. Here's Pharaoh's response. Verse 2. Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Just as short and straightforward. Just like that. Okay, here we go. Back and forth. That was the first... No, that was the first time. And we see from there on out the conditions. You'll see that in, the chapter, in this chapter here. Verse 10, it got worse. It went from bad to worse for Israel. Their conditions got worse. That's where they had a major interruption of their supply chains and had to go get it themselves. Verse 10 and 11. And yet they were still expected to perform the same amount of work, do the same job. So here we are, um, and then we have God moving in on the scene and beginning with the plagues, the ten plagues. Chapter 6, uh, several times I want you to notice God speaking, I am the Lord. Verse 2, the end of verse 2, I'm not going to read them all. Verse 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you forth. I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you forth from the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8, I am the Lord, there at the end. Quite a few times, God again, reminding Moses, reaffirming, I am the Lord and I will do this. There at the end of the chapter, verse 29, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so, I, I this may have given Moses some new courage and God gave him some specific instructions as to what to do next. Chapter 7 verse 19 we have him bringing on the first plague. And there's 10 of them. I will I'll just mention them briefly. And I think I had preached a series on a sermons on that, but it started with turning the river into blood. Now, just to Quick background on all of these plagues. They were a direct attack on Egypt's gods. Uh, Egypt had lots of gods. And every one of these plagues was a direct attack on Egypt's gods. They worshipped the river. That was their life. This is a semi-arid climate. You know, they, they don't get rain every week like we did last summer. It doesn't rain very often. So that's their life. 
It's their irrigation. It's their drinking water. It's their wash water. It's, it's their life. You can't... Animals aren't going to survive drinking blood instead of water. And this, was, this, this is how they lived. So we have here the first one. The water turned into blood. Notice there in chapter 7, verse 19, take thy rod, this rod that, that uh, God had turned into a snake and turned back into a stick, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon the rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood. You can imagine the odor that that would have left in just a short time. Okay, moving on. Frogs. Frogs everywhere. Just all of a sudden, frogs in their bedrooms, in their, in their kitchens, all over. Frogs. Lice. Oh, man, makes my head itchy just thinking about it. Lice. Lice everywhere. Animals, people. Swarms of flies. You ever been in a... Sure you have. Certain times of the year you get it here, especially up north in the Adirondacks, just flies everywhere. You can't keep them all. Just everywhere, flies. There was a plague on livestock. Their livestock died. Boils on the people, sore, sore, oozing wounds on their skin. Hailstorms. Not just like we get here, but real damaging hailstorm would have stripped the trees, just stripped everything. And what hail didn't take, the locusts took. Uh, we had that through this area a couple years ago, didn't we? They just... Great big swarms just gobble everything up in their path. Everything green. Darkness. Darkness. They didn't have solar energy. They didn't have electricity like we do. When it got dark, now this was pitch dark, really dark. And the last one, death of their firstborn. That was really the one that got Pharaoh's attention. All ten of them were a direct attack on Egypt's gods. The courage of Moses to confront Pharaoh. Now, I don't know if their culture had quite developed to, to where, like it was in Esther's day, where if the king didn't grant you permission to come in, you were just executed right then and there. We don't read of that, because Moses seemed to have a certain boldness about approaching the king that the people in Esther's day did not. Apparently he, uh, again, let's not rule out God's hand in this, but Moses was courageous in going to Pharaoh. Now you would think, I don't know, after three or four tries, and well then Pharaoh would sort of relent, okay, I'll let you go. And then the next plague, no, then, ever, then he'd take it away, whatever it was, frogs, lice, whatever. Then he'd relent. No, you're not going. You're staying. Moses kept right at it. Ten times. Most of us get discouraged after three tries, right? Three is somehow kind of a, a top for most of us. The courage of Moses. I see that in this. Let's look at the faith of Moses. Moving on to chapter 14. I'm just kind of skimming over some of these. We have them. This is after the Exodus. And that was by God's mighty hand. He had, well, he, they spoiled the Egyptians on the way out. It says they plundered them and left. Now, 
Egypt was already in ruins. It's, I read somewhere that thought this might have been about a year of events. So their whole crop was ruined for that year. Their economy was totally trashed. And then the, the, the Israelites plundered them on away. They gave them all the gold and silver and the clothes and all the other valuables that they eventually used to build the tabernacle. So here we have the, um, the, the Egyptian economy virtually trashed. And they leave. So they weren't more than a day or two out. They come to the Red Sea and they notice Pharaoh's army closed in behind them. Let's read chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now, I don't know what Moses had in mind. I know he had a strong faith in God. Maybe he expected God to rain hail on them or thunder and lightning. I don't know what he had in mind. Again, God never did this before, but here we have. <clears throat> they're right at the Red Sea. Well, they're on foot. There's no boats. They're on foot, and it's too deep to wade. What are they going to do? Here comes the Egyptian army, chariots. And in that day, that was the equivalent of our fighter jets and tanks. Here they come, closing in on them. And we see that God, in a very mighty way, defends them. Uh, chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, I don't think I'll read that. But it seemed like it took a day, maybe a day for this to happen because this cloud moved in and kind of protected one from the other to where they couldn't see each other. And the next morning, God had given him instructions and the sea parted. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and they walked across on dry ground. But it's not over. Guess what? The army followed them. And then, verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And that's exactly what happened. We see the faith of Moses. Like I said, I, I don't know what he expected from God. He had enough of faith that he believed God could deliver them, protect them. I'll bet he had no clue that was going to happen. But God did. You know, Hebrews 11 also speaks of the faith of his parents for, uh, well, for keeping him, I guess, and also of, of Moses not being ashamed to identify, be identified with his people. I will have to add this. Moses did make one fatal mistake. Let's turn to that. Numbers 20. 
The people were thirsty. There was no water there. And they needed water for themselves and their livestock. Verse 7. <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Remember I said they were, they were in a wilderness and needed water. Take thy rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also drank. And that was his fatal mistake. God asked him to speak to the rock, not strike the rock. Now, let me just be a little bit in defense for Moses' sake, because God did ask him previously one time to strike the rock, and it was fine. Now, I don't think that was so much the case. Well, yeah, he disobeyed by striking the rock, but notice his attitude. Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you? We? Fetch you water out of this? We? Who's we, Moses? You and Aaron? I think so. And, and, and like I said, God's a judge. But that was unfortunate. Moses, now he didn't die right then and there, but he was able to take the people to the border of, the, of their promised land. <laughs> and then, of course, I don't know why God did this, but he took him up to a mountain to, to view the land, and he saw it. But he wasn't allowed to enter. He died up on the mountain and God buried him. And no one knew from that day forward where Moses was buried. So as we see, Moses, he was an ordinary person like you and I. But I, I, I want to focus on some of his traits. Moving on quickly, the meekness of Moses. We just read briefly that account in, in Numbers 12 where Moses was declared by God to be a meek man. In fact, meekest upon all the men, above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Um, and there's a couple other times, I'm going to just briefly go back to number 16, where we have the account of Korah. Remember that account where they questioned his leadership? And we're so bold to even speak out against it. Now, these guys didn't get off quite as easy as Aaron and Miriam did because it didn't end well for them. They questioned Moses' leadership. Now, think about that. All the things that they had witnessed, crossing the Red Sea, and I just mentioned a couple of them, they weren't convinced that Moses was called by God? Really, guys? Are you serious? Anyways, they question him. In chapter 16, number 16, uh, the first couple of verses, we have this little rebellion surfacing. But I want to look at verse 4. And when Moses heard that he fell upon his face, and they were on the verge of a civil war. Korah had 250 men with him. And it could have very easily escalated to that. Moses had enough of sense to 
keep his cool and talk to him, which he did. And better than that, he looked to God to settle this dispute. Verse 5, next couple of verses you'll have, you'll see that. He set a time tomorrow to meet God, and we'll discuss this with God as our chairman, if you will. And of course, um, they did. And after, I'm really skimming over this, but verse 22 um, God was so frustrated with them that he wanted to wipe out the whole group, and Moses pled for them. Again, seeing Moses' uh, character really took his work seriously, his calling seriously, really loved the people, was interested in their well-being. But instead, he invited Korah and his group and asked the rest of the group to separate themselves. And in verse 30, we see the judgment that God brought on them. This is Moses speaking at the very end. This is Moses speaking. Uh, let's back up to verse 28. Number 16, 28. Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. Verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that pertain unto them and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And he says as soon as he was done speaking, that's exactly what happened. The earth split up. They dropped down in. The earth closed up again. Now, we can, we can tend to come down kind of hard on people like that. Why were they so hard-headed? Why did they not see that God's hand was on Moses, that he was leading them, that he was guiding them? And Moses really did have their best interest in mind. We can be guilty of the same at times. The meekness of Moses. That's where I see the meekness of Moses. A strong leader, realizing his own limitations and, and, and calling on God for, well, yeah, for direction and even to settle this dispute and to pass judgment. We are not safe doing that, but God is. God took things into his own hands and was very much interested in protecting his holiness in his name. And he did that. And I was especially, like I said, I was especially impressed with, with Moses' response to that. Uh, not losing his head right then and there. And like I said, I really think that they were, this, I think this would, this would have been their first civil war. They, Israel has a history of quite a few of them. But this looked like it could have been their first civil war. And he was somehow able to calm everyone down, put it on till tomorrow, and then we'll let God deal with it. And so, there's quite a few characters that I would certainly use as a character study, and I don't intend to be this ongoing, that this be ongoing, but I was certainly blessed as I again looked at Moses' life and 
as I said earlier, to all of you aspiring leaders, this is a man to follow. He's worthy. He's a, a worthy role model. As a strong leader, not a pushover, he stood what was right and knew where he stood. And if it was over his head, he deferred to God. Let God settle. Let God settle the dispute. And God pass judgment in whatever way he saw fit. Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for men like Moses. Thank you for your calling on his life. Thank you, Father, that even though he was a little bit rough at first, he needed some refining. You were patient, you were gracious with him, and you allowed him time to mature and develop and to get to know you. We thank you especially that he was certainly willing to follow you, willing to accept your call, willing to believe he had faith, he had courage, he had wisdom. Father, we believe that you have that calling on all of our lives. You have a calling for each of us. And whatever that is, you will give us grace and direction and guidance. We thank you for that. And we continue to ask you to continue doing that in our lives. Father, we thank you for um, your word. Thank you that it's through patriarchs like Moses who recorded these events and we now have them in a scripture before us. And we pray, Father, your continued blessing now as we go from here. Lord, might we be sensitive to your spirit's leading and uh, willing to heed your call. Forgive us at times when we have been lax, have been uh, questioned you, unwilling to trust you. Our faith was weak. Father, may you strengthen our faith as we Go from here and give us the grace to continue to go on serving you in whatever area of life that may be. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.